I had some type of experience where it was almost like I could see my soul, for lack of a better term. Like I saw the state of it and there was like this agonizing cancer within me. I felt had to be abscessed and and, and cleaned out. At the same time, I had maybe some insight into uh, God's love. And in those moments, I, I remember thinking, I learned more in those few moments than I had in undergraduate and graduate school. What does it mean to have a mystical encounter with God? How has the church been renewed by the men and women who've experienced these encounters through history? And when they happen in our lives, how can they take our work, relationships, and plans to a higher ground? In this week's episode, CEO of Scent Ventures and former Carmelite religious John Cannon shares how the fruits of pursuing a true and deep encounter with God can yield a great spiritual return on investment. Uh, I became interested in how the church has renewed throughout history. Like, are there patterns to that and how the Holy Spirit has renewed the church throughout history? And so I turned to the saints, you know, how did Mother Teresa found the missionaries of charity? How did Ignatius found the Jesuits? What's the story behind that? So I became interested in them as founders, as entrepreneurs, really. What's cool about those that try to bring the entrepreneurs that try to bring God, the Holy Spirit, Christ into their work is that they can allow him to take their work to another pitch. When the Holy Spirit's activated in these creative works, I think new life can emerge in fresh ways that transforms people's lives for the good. Through the example of the saints, God reveals his desire to meet us today in a profound way and gives us the tools to renew the church and set the world on fire. This is Living the Call. John Cannon, welcome to the show. Dick and Charlie, good to be here. Thank you for having me. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> Happy Valentine's <laughs> Day to you too. Yeah. I was, uh, my, my kids, um, they kind of roll their eyes when I do this, but I'm always asking these random trivia questions, you know, and one of them that came up with St. Valentine's Day was percentage of people who celebrate Valentine's Day who think anything about a beheaded priest in the second century. Probably not that many. <laughs> yeah. Not, not that romantic. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it's not, it's not uh, you know, cocktail conversation necessarily, but nevertheless, it is part of the, the provenance, right? Obviously, it's taken on a bunch of different, uh, I'm sure, like, you know, barnacles on a ship. You, the, the, the things kind of collect things over time and now means something different, mm. but it is part of that basis. But anyway, um, we're recording the show on Valentine's Day, and so wish everybody a very happy one with your Valentine. Um, you know, it actually it, interesting to start with a, a, a kind of a saint thing, John, because when I first met you, one of the things that you shared with me, which I thought was a kind of an open, an interesting opening salvo, was this notion of your how important it was the reflection of the great saints and what they've done historically as a kind of impetus or maybe point of genesis, to say it that way, for your own life, both personally and professionally, and like the impact that saints have had in the world and what the, what the commonalities have been with these saints and maybe what some of their differences has been, but that as a kind of source of inspiration for kicking off the work that you do now. And I'm sure many other things. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Deacon. Um, you know, ever since I was a kid, I've been drawn to, and I think a lot of, especially boys were drawn to the hero, you know, we love a good action movie. We love Marvel characters. And I'd always been drawn to those stories. I, you know, the movies I loved growing up were, you know, Braveheart, and these people that are just larger than life, and they live, they 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 have some code or virtue or, um, that they that they live by, and it manifests in their actions. And others want to be like them and and follow them. And and so I'd always been drawn to that. And when I started becoming more serious about my faith, the saints became those models. I mean, how you know, um, 
you know, in this life, they, they're the closest, um, the closest we can imagine to, uh, you know, I think to Christ himself, they help us to see him better. And, um, I, just, I, I would just tear through saint biographies to get to know them and how they lived and how God acted in their life. I mean, to line up, uh, to be the hero, but then also have that be, uh, be aligned with your spirituality and then have even having Christ working through you to be the hero. So it's not so much you, the hero, but him in you is the hero. Mm. It's just a beautiful, uh, I mean, it's beyond words for me. And so when uh, I became interested in how the church has renewed throughout history, like, are there patterns to that and how the Holy Spirit has renewed the church throughout history? And so I turned to the saints, you know, how did Mother Teresa found the missionaries of charity? How did Ignatius found the Jesuits? What's the story behind that? We, uh, and so I, I became interested in them as founders, as entrepreneurs, really. And um, that kind of led into the work that I'm, that I'm doing now, which I'm happy to share more about. But I've see, I see the saints in, in different lights. They're, they're paragons and models of love, this being St. Valentine's Day, uh, how to love fully uh, in this life as God's calling us, um, but also as people that, that can start new things and, and new ventures yeah. with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and they, it's interesting because they have a mix, saints do, of, you know, obviously the things that we would expect, right? Extraordinarily um, faithful lives, holy lives, lives devoted to prayer, to helping uh, their fellow men and women, to really ministering to the world, all of those things. But then they also have like a lot of moxie. You know what I mean? They have like a lot of like guts to go do stuff. I, th- I mean, I think about, you mentioned Mother Teresa. I mean, Mother Teresa you know, interacted with all kinds, and you, you may know more about this than I do, but just all kinds of, you know, the organs and, and tentacles of governments and foreign nations and diplomats and all this other stuff. I mean, she spoke at the UN, for goodness sakes, right? It's like all of these sort of tentacles, and I'm sure faced every kind of obstacle, but she was just like really dogged about getting this this mission out. This is an, another example just from my recent last few weeks, and although, you know, certainly not a canonized saint, but somebody who, you know, had this kind of same moxie, uh, Mother Angelica from EWTM, right, from Birmingham, where you're, where you're from, um, or where you were from originally, but, uh, you know, she, if you read some of her quotes, and, you know, who knows, maybe at some point there'll be a cause for her canonization, but she was like, I mean, she's like, I'm doing this, I'm doing this because the Lord wants it, and you can tell me I'm going to fail, but I'm going to trust in Him rather than the words that you're telling me, and so there's this sense of, like, doggedness or moxie, and, and, and part of that, I think, is important in order to be able to see new ways to do things, potentially, because you're going to get, by definition, people pushing back on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's a that's a that's a great that's a great insight and ha- uh, you know I think I think the Holy Spirit can help one to navigate that between kind of involving people and asking them and and seeking their guidance, but then also saying, well, I, I feel called to do this by God, and and there's some level of conviction in that. And then I also you know so there's I think there's that that dynamic, but I think there's also the leaders that you profiled like. It was something of it was just kind of their personality. I mean, you know, like yeah. they were they yeah. were hard charging. Like they they were probably that way as kids, and and God uses that, which is part of the beauty of the saints. Is he 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 designs us a certain way for a reason, and when we flourish, when our call is fulfilled in this life, um, to be the saints that we're called to be. That's you know, the Holy Spirit blossoms all of those gifts or things that may not even be seen as gifts. I mean. Can you imagine gruff Mother Angelica in fifth grade, like talking back to? The, I don't know. I don't. Who knows? But like, you know, she would have been the boss back then, and be like, okay, this is for a sure. Well, God's going to use those that that personality design that she has for good, and so it's it's like, well, what is that? That what are the gifts or the mm. personality 
you know, uh, characteristics or even flaws that God has given me? And how is he calling that to holiness and to be uh, a beacon for, for him in the world? Um, so I, I think Amen. that's another thing I love about the saints is they're, they're all unique, just as God's designed us. And what you've described is really the whole principle of grace building on nature, right? So taking whatever right. that thing is in, 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 in off, you know, many cases, uh, you know, building grace on top of things that are, you know, in other circumstances and spheres, maybe defects or things that might keep you back, but then nevertheless, building on top of that for you in your own life, how have you experienced grace building on the nature of who you are? Yeah, that's a, that's a good, that's a good question. I, 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 I continue to pray for more grace to build on my nature. Um, yeah. Uh, so growing up, I was I was the kid that had his own seat separate from everyone else in the class. You know, so that mm. the kids, other kids, wouldn't get disturbed too much. Uh, loved to you know chit chat in class, uh, crack jokes. Uh, my parents had like standing meetings with the teachers. You know, on Friday afternoon to like check in on my behavior issues, like. Never made honor, wow. never made honor roll because of it, you know, conduct. And so, like, you know, I was, I was just hot, you know, like ADHD kid growing up. And so, had to, you know, I think just in a natural level to like do well in school, had to learn how to kind of harness that energy through, you know, sports and like, you know, even diet and things like that to, okay, to do well and just like function in society. And I think uh, it's interesting that, you know, after I, I had, um, kind of a series of very intense spiritual experiences that brought me back to become very intentional about the faith and, and see, you know, just become very convicted by that. And, um, I think, you know, in that, I found that, uh, you know, God, God was, um, I think there was a period where I, those gifts, I, those gifts, that personality characteristic, I kind of like kind of buried it a little bit. Like, okay, that's just this, let's continue to bury this. And I, I was in religious life at the time and uh, I, I ended up discerning into religious life with, with the Carmelites. And that was a phase of, you know, you're, you're in an order and you're kind of obedient. And I was very docile, which, I, which were all good things. And I think it was a growth. Great things. Me. Yeah. 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 And, and I need them. <laughs> I also think that God wanted to use kind of that, like that chutzpah and that, like that inner aggressive energy that I have. And um, I think, in this later phase, I eventually discerned out of religious life very, very carefully with good uh, spiritual direction and my superiors. Um, but I think he's, I think he's wanted me to kind of bring some of that, like, okay, we can, we can use these things, you know, but with grace, tempered by grace and prayer yes. and the sacraments, because those yes. are the, those are the portals that allow that grace to flow in so that whatever's there can, can flourish and it can t- continue throughout life to flourish, I think. That's one example. I could go on to others. But yeah. No, it's a, it's a great example. And one we actually have in common, maybe it's just a broader trait of people who are entrepreneurial that you're kind of precocious yeah. and you're kind of like, you know, out there. I mean, you talked about like, you know, you don't, you don't want to have your classmates sitting that close to you. And like the, the, the teacher kind of picks out the ones who are going to make it easier or harder to actually get the lesson plan. And I'd put myself in that category as well. You know, maybe yeah. not like weekly meetings, but certainly the kid, you know, who was, you know, out there trying to, you know, start something, have a conversation, have a discussion. But those are all very very positive traits that can, the, the, those are traits that can be developed positively, right? With, with all the different thing, the, right. the different ways that the Holy Spirit gives us our gifts. Now you, you mentioned, um, you know, and I don't know where in this kind of phase of precociousness or inquisi- inquisitiveness that you had, you've had, you know, a number of kind of mystical experiences that have drawn you, you know, to where you are now. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm curious if you could just share with us maybe one of those to the extent, obviously, you're comfortable in sharing it, but yeah. and and what that specifically meant 
to your journey. Yeah. Yeah, no, I appreciate you asking. And, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, it's part of the, speaking of the saints, part of the saints, like guidance on these things, you know, John the cross included, um, that, you know, in some, some type of spiritual gift is given to one and an experience or whatever, like a couple aspects of that. One is there's an interpretive element. Like, so I'm interpreting some experience that's beyond me and trying to provide words or language or narrative to it. Um, mm. and so it's finite and limited, uh, in, in that respect. And, um, it may not be exactly true to what God was giving me. And then two, one has to also be, I think, be a little in, in that has to be a little, um, cautious and careful about trying to communicate it because it's, it's, uh, it, it doesn't quite lend itself to human expression and language. Cause it's so, um, you know, uh, there's something other in there. And so, you know, with, with that level of like, with those caveats, I'll, I'll share that. Um, yeah, I, uh, I think the, the experience that I had that, uh, through God, that really got me more into my faith and, um, just, just changed everything was, uh, it was a little over two, 10 years ago. Um, I, um, the backstory for a minute, 30 seconds is my father, who I was really close with, uh, very devout, holy man. I, he was in a car accident. Uh, mm. his back was broken. Um, he was in the ICU. I always go visit him and mm. I would go to see him and he, like he, other people would come in the room, nurses, et cetera. And he would just light up and he would say, mm. how is your family? How are you doing? This is a man whose, whose scalp was peeled back. His back was broken. Mm. He was in the ICU hooked up to tubes and he was asking how other people were doing and genuinely caring. And mm. it, I was in a place of like, frankly, deep sin in my life at that point, a very lot of selfishness. And I was like, how does he do that? That's amazing. Yeah. How, I, mm. If it were me, it was like, how do I manage the pain? How do I like deal with this? Let's fix this. And he was focused on others. It was, it was really Christ living in him. I didn't have that language or that understanding. And it, this worked on me. This was chewing on me. And uh, I was mm. thinking about this. I was thinking about how he did, how did my dad do that and live that way? And while I was thinking about that, I had some type of experience where it felt like I could just see, it was almost like I could see my soul, like for lack of a better term, like I saw the state of it. And there was like this agonizing cancer within me. I felt had to be abscessed and, and, and cleaned out at the same time. I had maybe some insight into, uh, God's love and like mm. some, um, and God, him, uh, God himself, I, I felt that, um, I don't know, I, in those moments, I, I remember thinking I learned more in those few moments than I had in undergraduate and graduate school. And um, it was like I saw, and I literally overnight went from reading, you know, my Wall Street Journal and Economist to tearing through spiritual books and, um, and became very hungry spiritually. And that kind of, within mm -hmm. a couple of years, ended up entering religious life after that. Wow. It's almost like, yeah. uh, you know, what, what, what in the mystical sense people call an, an illumination, right? This kind of, uh, you know, seeing reality, right? Which is what it is to the extent that it's from God. Um, you're seeing what's really real, right? In a way, w what we have around us, this material world is a reflection. It's what St. Paul said is a shadow, right? Mm -hmm. Of the things that, that in that case, he was talking about the things to come, namely Jesus is the revelation of all truth and all fullness. But in a way, like the created order is itself a kind of a, an echo or an image of this greater thing. And we can kind of cut through it in that moment of illumination in various ways, we kind of see what's really at work. It reminds me of, there's a there's a mystic, a, a guy who's alive today, he's actually a Colombian guy, so hmm. of course, it's obligatory for me to know about him since I'm Colombian, right? So there, his name is uh, Marino Restrepo, 
Um, and I'll put something in the show notes so people can check it out. But he had this crazy mystical experience at one hmm. point. He was actually kidnapped. He's a Colombian guy, went back in the 90s to visit his family. He was living a life of complete sin in the U.S. He was a big-time entertainment executive, <laughs> did all this stuff, but went back to visit his family. And he had, you know, a series of interactions with his sister where she tried to take him to church and, you know, she would show him the images in church. He'd been away from the faith for a very long time. And he would look at these images and say like, well, you know, which one of them can get me more money or get me more power? And so the sister kind of like tongue in cheek said, oh, you should, you know, here's one. And it was the infant of Prague. Mm. And so he's sitting there asking the infant of Prague for like money and lottery and women and all this other stuff. And it was a crazy story. But anyway, to fast forward to the part that, that jives with what you just said. He gets kidnapped by the guerrillas in the early 90s in Colombia. He ends up like getting thrown in a cave. He's there for ultimately six months. At some point in this cave experience, he has this total out-of-body transformative mystical experience where he basically ends up meeting Jesus, okay? And Jesus explains to him, you know, that he is the infant of Prague and like this whole thing. But at one point, he says that he got a chance to see his own soul, see his own soul in front of Christ, right, in front of Christ, and he said that the entire thing literally, like, shattered into, like, a thousand different pieces because of the sin that he was carrying, and he got, like, a chance to see that even though he, even though Jesus was beckoning him to come, it hurt so much, he said, that at that moment, if he had been given the option to run into hell, he would have. That's how much it hurt to be in the presence of Christ carrying all that sin, but, like, that opportunity and that's like a super you know turbo example of of how this works Mm. but that kind of illumination of seeing what's really around us Mm. can be such a powerful way i mean even in your life you kind of did a whole about face right a powerful way to drive us closer uh to to him yeah that's amazing i I didn't know about him i'll have to i'll have to read read up on that yeah it's 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 yeah and it's remarkable and it's interesting too that's a little bit of a pattern i think in in uh in people's lives right that that crisis or deprivation or yes um can be catalysts for encountering god you know and that and that when we have nothing or we're stripped i mean francis of assisi had some type of experience when he was in um he was captured after a malicious skirmish that kind of led to his conversion ignatius of loyola similarly when he was convalescing you know that kind of led to his conversion um you know so uh you know god god can work even in the dark darkest times of our lives and, re- and reading saints books, in the case of St. Ignatius of Loyola, reading about the lives of the saints was a big catalyst to him as well. Yeah. Ju- ju- I don't want to jump over this part, though, post this mystical experience. At some point, you started discerning a little bit of a call to the religious life or ended up in, in, in discerning a religious uh, vocation. But in that moment, as you're kind of having this mystical experience, there's been you know something difficult that you've contended with uh, personally that's kind of led to this you know, particular outcome. Are you working in the secular world at that point? I was when this was going on. Yeah, I had a um, little consulting business. I was working with companies on uh, helping them with their strategy, or um, you know, their their um, helping them. Yeah, you know, I'd work with companies and helping them to grow through my strategic consulting business. Yeah. And was that idea of because you're making a departure? Not you know you have this experience and you've got this this new purview and you're gonna now dive into spiritual reading and do all these different things 
a person can still do that, let's say in their spare time or whenever on the weekends. But to, to go from that kind of background, like you have, you're like, you know, in financial services and you're, you're, you know, working people with in biotech and agribusiness and renewable energy and all these different things to go from that and saying like, no, I want to kind of take this into a more integrated approach and not just have it be something that I'm personally interested in, but I want to actually like devote my previously secular energies to something relating to this cause. Like what, what was that like? Yeah, that's a good, I mean, I, I, it, it was so, it was, the experience, experience was so powerful and what kind of emerged from that was so all consuming. Like it was, it was, um, I mean, it was an all consuming thing. Like I remember wanting to just give everything to God, like, and I wanted to be transformed completely. And I remember even feeling, I remember thinking at the time, like I wanted everything, you know, I wanted what I saw within me to be completely annihilated and allow Christ to rebuild mm. it from the inside out. I remember thinking that, and that was a, that was oh. a very powerful drive. And I, I mean, I wanted it, I mean, almost immediately to just run off, run off to the cave or the monastery. Um, I, you know, through like, you know, honestly talking to my dad and spiritual directors and others, you know, it's like, no, <laughs> be patient with this and give it time and, you know, like ease into it. And I also practically had a lot of student loans I was paying off that orders wouldn't take me anyway. <laughs> so, right. you know, like God, God had me to wait and be patient with it, which I'm glad too, because, um, you know, that it, it allowed me to try and turn the ship around. It was a bit, the ship was headed in the wrong direction. It very, had a lot of inertia and the thing had to be slowly turned around and to build a life of prayer and, and, uh, the sacraments and, uh, to do spiritual reading. And, and then also, I think it also tested it. So when I was in religious life, I was actually less tempted, I think, to leave. It's like, well, I spent, I ended up spending two years kind of really hungry. I was so hungry to go into the monastery or some religious vocation, um, that I, I was pretty eager to stay there. Cause I was like, no, I, I know this is where I want to be. How, how did how did the like the orbit that you had around you at that time would have been in part spiritual, religious, your church community, you know, those people who were in that part of the orbit. But you also, I'm sure, had in that orbit a lot of, you know, folks that you'd known through this through secular world, right? Even your clients, other partners, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. How 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 they respond to the extent that they knew about this. Yeah, that's interesting. It was a it, yeah, I, I didn't have much of a I, I mean, I was kind of going to mass during the time, but I, you know, before oh, okay. this experience, but I, I didn't really have like a spiritual community. I wasn't really actively engaged in my faith really. And so my, you know, I'd gone to business school most, and um, worked in business. Most of the people I hung out with were, you know, in various social circles or, or business or, or um, from grad school. So they knew me in a totally different context. And so I didn't, I didn't talk a whole you know, I didn't actively share a lot about this. I mean, it was kind of a little well, secret and, I had. And, and 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 when you think back about that time, when you think of why you did it, what's what's going through your mind as as to the or or was it just you're just not that kind of person who generally shares kind of what's going on? Yeah, I think that's. I think yeah, it's a good question. I haven't reflected a ton on that. I think one, I was, I am a very, I am a pretty private person, and um, I think if it, I think it, it's not like I hid things. I mean, I would, I think gradually more and more i would share things or i would invite people to mass or i'd ask them about you know their you know spiritual journey or so it would come up more organically in in conversations and things but i it i wasn't you know tweeting about it i wasn't i i kept kind of as a secret that i was discerning religious life i didn't talk to my family mm. about it that much until i was pretty far along um you know it was something i did i did i would 
you know, I wouldn't tell people I'd go off on a discernment retreat for a weekend and come back. And um, it was something, yeah, it was, it was a very private, it was a very private thing. It was almost an intimate thing that was going on. It was, mm. I, I had this kind of intimate encounter and it with, with God and he wounded me with love. And I wanted to just respond to that as, as fully as I could, as I could. Um, and if I'm honest with myself, I think there was some, you know, I think there was some like insecurity that if, that I may go back on that, that I may fall back into the way I was before. And if I, had, if I went out and I was like, oh yeah, I'm doing all, yeah, you, know, yeah, there it you is. know, going to the monastery yeah. and doing all this. And like, and then I was out in the streets doing crazy sin the next week that, so I think, I think there was some of that too, if I'm honest with myself. Yeah, that's very Augustinian. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, make me pure, make me holy, just not now kind of thing. And also because you end up setting the bar higher on yourself, right? So in a way you're thinking yeah. very economically about this. The accountability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there was, I think there was probably some of that. And also not knowing the language for it, you know, and it was new and you're trying to, you know, you, you're easing into, into it. And um, my dad too is very, he was one of the holiest people I've ever known, but he was also very private about his faith. And I think maybe that era that that generation was, and I mean, Catholics are still today. So maybe there was part yeah. of that influence. I, yeah, I haven't fully impacted. But. How, how, and how do you go from this stage if you don't have that kind of community background necessarily that you're active in, and you're not necessarily living the kind of you know Christian life or at some portion of it? How how does it, even the notion besides the mystical experience get introduced in you that you may want to be a religious? I mean, that's a huge leap. That's a big jump. Yeah. Know, for, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Good question. I mean, I, I remember I did the one person I did talk to was my dad about it pretty on pretty early on because he understood. I mean, he, he was a daily communicant. Like he spent a lot of time in prayer. He like all, all his friends were priests. So I, I always had that model growing up, even though I didn't, you know, have it live it myself. And I, I remember talking to him pretty early on about it. And he was like, well, have you gone to confession? And I was like, no, do you think I should? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> So at least you didn't say what's that. That would have been yeah, uh, tougher. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I mean, I, I, yeah, it's been a while, but I, yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I went to, I did go to confession and, and that was, there was just a lot of healing with that. And, you know, in my, I think my dad encouraged me to go, you know, you may try going to mass sometimes. And I, I mean, I'll say at the beginning when I was doing the spiritual reading, I mean, like I was doing Christian stuff, but I was reading like, I was reading like Buddhist thing. I was reading all types mm -hmm. of spirituality. And, mm -hmm. But it was in that research that I discovered the beautiful mystical tradition that's in the Catholic church. Like, it's so rich and profound and deep and I had no idea about it. And so like, I just kept going more and more and, and you can go, you can go pretty far. I mean, you can go forever on that track. Cause it's, it's incredible. Did you get deep into the Eastern stuff? Like, would you, would you at any point consider yourself an adherent of that? No, no. I, I yeah. mean, I, it was more of like t topical things very early on in this. And then like, as, as I, I think as I, you know, went to confession, then I went to mass and mass, mass, changed for me after this experience and after mm. going to confession and there was some, I think some, some, some internal clarity going on and the Holy Spirit is very more activated in my life. Like it became an encounter mass became like, it became a rich encounter for me. And I, so there was one, an encounter that was, that was very fruitful in my life, like more peace and uh, like an inner joy and a, and a clarity, you know, there's just a lot of grace wrapped up in it. And then I also noticed like, I'm a pretty analytical guy. And so I noticed like, I, try, I started going to daily mass sometimes. And then, and then I noticed that the days that I went or the day after that, like I didn't get upset as easily, like temptations weren't as strong. Like 
things like just kind of flowed better. And then like, and then sometimes like things, I just get off. I get real upset about, you know, and our temptations yeah. be very strong. And I'd be like, what's going on? I was like, we haven't gone to mass in three days. Yeah. I, I noticed yeah. this pattern. I was like, I need to go every day. Like yeah. this is the best ROI I can have for I was my just, entire life. And literally the word I was about to use is like, you measured the ROI of the sacramental yeah. life because it, yeah. but, but I mean, there is one. Yeah. 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 And I mean, that's not the only, I mean, you're just doing of course, that. Like, of course. Me, right? But, but that became a catalyst. Like, okay. I mean, I think going, I mean, going every day, why not? This is amazing. So I started going every day and, and it just like, there's just a lot of transformation and healing and change going on. And so, um, and then I was like, okay, this is real, man. This is real stuff. And then I was like, you know, I'm just going all in on the, you know, on the Christian stuff. So that's how I encountered really the, you know, the Carmelites um, and the mystical tradition and spirituality of the Carmelites, reading Teresa of Avila and John of the Cross. It drew me in and wanted, uh, it just pulled me towards an intimacy with God and, um, I, I think he was just pulling me to go all in on that. And do you remember um, John, you know, and then do you started, remember yeah. if it was like a particular moment of inflection when you took that decision and said, I'm doing this, was there like a moment, some registration online you had to do for the Carmelites, some like thing that you did? Was it like a moment that you recall, or was this like a series of kind of like gradual synchronous steps? And then you suddenly found yourself in a monastery. Like, how would you describe that? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. I mean, it was something that it was almost like it, it was, there was like a gravity to it. Like it was just, it was just pulling at me to be, I, I wanted more, I, I was, I deeply yearned for more silence, more solitude, um, to like, just to be immersed in, in, you know, in God and, and to have space for him to transform my life and work in me. Um, and so I wanted that, I kind of wanted that separation from things. I think I've been so wrapped up in the world, you know, and, um, I wanted to, I wanted to pull away for him to, to heal me. And so, um, so I was deeply drawn to religious life as a, as a vehicle for that. So I discerned with different orders. I, you know, I visited the Dominicans and the Carmelites and the Trappists even. And, um, I'd always just been drawn to the deep spirituality of, of, of Carmel. And, um, so then, you know, just kind of took steps. So, I finally got, you know, got some response and traction with them and then went out to visit and do a visit and then made another visit and visit a couple communities, you know, and, and so that, that process continued, but I was, I was pretty, I remember being pretty assertive and aggressive about it. Cause I was very, very drawn. Well, and it stands that. to reason. I mean, given yeah. the fact that there was at least a big moment of spiritual kind of inflection with that mystical experience you had that you would seek out, you know, this kind of mystical path and, you know, very focused on the interior life and, and, you know, which, of course, the Carmelites have that incredible tradition of doing. I'm, I'm always on about the mystics to people. You know, it's like my, my brother, which is why I asked you about the question yeah. of um, whether or not you would ever consider yourself a kind of an adherent of an Eastern kind of philosophy or religion, because my brother went through a similar track, right? He actually became, not became, I guess is the wrong word, but he, he was for all in, intents and purposes at some point kind of a Buddhist, right? But very, but very much, uh, and now he's a Benedictine priest, but very much focused on that was one of the draws, right? Mon the, the monastic call being like separating, you know, the world, like physically leaving the world was a big part of it. But also this kind of deep mystical, yeah. um, you know, tradition that was all about really communion with God, right? Communion with the Trinity even though we're still yes. kind of here, which, you know, most people don't get a chance to experience, you know, any shade of that, you know, really. And it was those two things that, that you know, after being introduced to the Christian mystical tradition, I think initially through Meister Eckhart, but eventually, you know, Avila and John of the Cross mm. and everybody else. Um, but he was like, wow, we've got that too. And it kind of matches my kind of Christian upbringing, which of course he had, right? So it was this like feeling of finding yeah 
like a path forward, you know, that could satisfy mm. those needs, but in a way that was full, that was, that was in keeping with the fullness of the tradition that he had been brought up with, you know, it was kind of part of his path. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. It's, and, and I think it's part of the beauty of how God draws people in different ways to himself. You know, it, um, you know, some people are drawn much more towards, you know, intellectually they you know start learning about the faith and they're on catholic answers and they okay well, this makes sense and some people and that's so it's just beautiful how the myriad of ways that god works in our lives just like a parent loving their child and drawing them you know maybe they the relationships are all unique uh, and that love is all special and, and unique and custom mm. for that person uh, it really is amazing. beautiful and of course you know well wouldn't it be that way because we're all different and so every one of us has you know different drivers and levers that the holy spirit uses to draw us to him um and that's what he's constantly doing he's constantly beckoning mm -hmm. but the thing of it is is we're built in different ways so we respond to a variety of different things and he knows that inventory of things and you know applies it to uh to our given to our given lives now you get into you know the 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 monastic life, and you're you're in this religious order. At some point, you do make it, and you have a number of years that you're there, right? Yes, I was there, I was there for about seven years in total. Um, so I was approaching uh, solemn vows, or so you you know you telling marriage commit for life, and I was I was getting to that point. And um, yeah, some, I mean I can go into the the stories of how and why I discerned out in more detail, but it, you know it became pretty pretty clear that that's not where uh, God would have me for for life, and I. Um, discerned it very carefully and, and made the decision to not, not continue. Um, but what was the, was your initial maybe reservation around sharing this religious discernment with other people and kind of being a bit more guarded about that? Did any of those concerns ever manifest when you did uh, discern out? Like, in other words, were you, or, or did people just generally go, Oh, that's cool. You know, welcome back. Yeah, I mean, once I decided, once I you know applied and was accepted, it's a pretty grueling application process to join a religious life. Uh, once I applied and was accepted and made that decision to go, I was I was pretty open with people then. Um, uh, you know, I did, so I you know sent big mass email out to my friends. I was advised by someone else for another friend of mine who entered religious life. I was like, how should I tell people this? And she was like, write an email, but send it out like thirty minutes before you enter because you. People are going to go so crazy and be so confused. You don't want to have to answer all that. <laughs> so I like send it advice. out like right before I entered, and you know, so and you can't, you don't have internet or phone really there. So I didn't really didn't respond to the email for like a year. <laughs> but uh, um, so I mean, I communicated to my networks of people, um, so they 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 knew, uh, but I didn't communicate a whole lot until, and then I came out and sent a similar email that <laughs> right. just people basically, seven years later you. You replied all to the same email seven basically. years later. Here yeah, you go. Basically, Tried that. And and I'm sure the things that you do now, right? Obviously, you've got Scent Ventures, and you're doing all this work to really, you know, equip Catholics and entrepreneurs in their Catholic life and, and all of this. And I'm sure all of this has been formed and colored and shaped by that you know, monastic, uh, experience that, that you had, and maybe even, maybe even the mystical experience that you had, but, you know, at one point, at what point have you, you, you come back from, from the seven years away, like within the seven years or after, like, at what point do you think how you can start applying all of these things back out in the world? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question too. And I, so much of my journey like ties to my dad, interestingly. Um, he, he, about four years ago, he was diagnosed with the terminal cancer and, mm. um, Sorry to I was hear in that. religion. 
Thank you, Deacon. Um, I was in religious life at the time and, and they just gave him like a few months and the order let me spend a little bit of time with him at the end. And um, it was a great grace. I ended up spending most of the last two months of his life with him uh, as a Carmelite. And we just, you know, we pray together every day and um, take him to his appointments. And uh, he, you know, he, he ended up dying. And um, I went back to seminary and that it was after that, that things shifted for me a lot uh, in my vocation. Um, one, to be honest, I felt like, uh, like in a very like strong way, I felt like I was calling me to marriage and family after this. There was some, like, it was a similar type of powerful experience that happened that, that continued. I, I shared that with my superiors and, and others and, um, you know, uh, discern. So that was, that was one driver. And the other was, uh, that, um, you know, it's it somehow like all those, like, you know, we talk about like gifts being activated and all those, all these things that I thought, I think had been like kind of pushed aside, like my kind of dormant, more, yeah, dormant, yeah, latent, dormant in a chrysalis, whatever, like they kind of became activated after he died. Like there was like this surge of like energy and creativity and hunger to be like more active and in a very mysterious way that I, I don't really understand. And um, that's when I started doing um, research on how the church had renewed throughout history and became interested in how various saint leaders had led renewal efforts. And I just started just, do, I, you know, did a lot of ecclesial, re, you know, historical research and reading theologians' perspective on this, these things and reading biographies of the saints in a, with a particular emphasis on how they started their movements or efforts and looked at dozens of them and just started seeing patterns in that. And then started thinking about like, well, what does that look like today to um, support Catholic, you know, mission leaders and entrepreneurs uh, in a way that builds, you know, helps them support, helps them support the growth of their enterprise, but also with the deep spiritual core. Um, and, you know, there's so many things in, in the secular world that uh, support entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial ventures from Silicon Valley to governments have innovation officers. <laughs> what does that look like Absolutely. in a faith context um, with the core and the foundation being something that something deeply, you know, that's spiritual, but it's also kind of custom for where people are. Because, you know, if you're starting a company or organization and you're have a family, like, you, you know, you, you're not you're not in a monastery, you're not living a pure monastic spirituality, although it can be influenced by that. Um, so, you know, that that process was unfolding after my dad's death. And I, I was in religious life about a year and a half after I spent another year and a half kind of discerning in religious life. But I was also thinking and praying and researching these things. And um, my vow, when my vows were up for I was in simple vows, so you make vows for a year, and then you renew vows for a year, and you renew. And I was up for renewal in September of 2019. And I discerned to to not renew them and to start working on this more more actively. And even the, the, the overlap, so this idea, first of all, the energy that you had, the enthusiasm, the desire to kind of look at the way that the church had historically renewed herself and the characters that were part of that renewal. In a secular context, right, we would call those people entrepreneurs, right? In a business standpoint, we would call those yeah. people entrepreneurs. And like, you know, like everything else, because I'm convinced that everything, no matter what it is, has like an image of God imprinted on it, mm. no matter how how secular or silly you think it may be. But mm. even the idea of an entrepreneur, right? I've been thinking a lot about this and the, the, the word itself, entrepreneur, is this kind of weird conflation of a few things in French, but it fundamentally means to undertake a great work. That's what it fundamentally means, right? Um, and and that's where we get the word enterprise from, right? It, it's from entrepreneur. And 
and ultimately there is that to your point all of these mechanisms all of these organizations all of this interest and energy and resources to support that great work when the great work is a widget or a dollar or whatever it may be yeah. that the output of the enterprise is yeah. but but vanishingly little right. in the, in the in the in the church you know language of doing the same for people who are trying to apply all of that energy to stuff in the vineyard. So it's like that just the whole idea of entrepreneurship is itself very religious, like very spiritual in nature, right? Of achieving a great thing, because that should be our prayer that we achieve a great work for God. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's beautiful. And I think there's, yeah, there's just, I mean, you could probably write a book on the spirituality of entrepreneurship. Um, you know, God is also there. The, you go. God is, the, yeah, yeah. It's your, would you, would That's you like to you add that to your, uh, to, yeah. Add that to your next quarter's uh, deliverables. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. As long as you're writing it with me. Uh, but I mean, you know, God is a creator, and and you know, he creates creates the he creates the universe, and he creates us, and as a builder. And I think entrepreneurs are hungry to build things. And and I think what's what's cool about those that try to bring the entrepreneurs that try to bring God, the Holy Spirit, Christ into their work is that. There's, I think, I think they can allow him to take their work to another pitch. So instead of it just being about what I can build or what I can create, um, or to, you know, make have some kind of sometimes even meaningless material into it, when the Holy Spirit's activated in these creative works, I think, I think new life can emerge in in fresh ways that transforms people's lives for the good um, and impact. It can impact society at a whole other level. I mean, just think about it. Like, talked about the you talked about your brothers of Benedict. Well. They've been around for fifteen hundred years. What, what company right. and startup has been, has been around for fifteen hundred years? Like there's zero. Something big, there's something big going on there, right? Like that's amazing. I mean, the the charism that that is that is really timeless uh, for how uh, a certain way in which people are called to holiness. And think of all the fruit over those fifteen hundred years. How many lives touch? How many um, you know people that have been been healed through their ministries or people educated in schools or um, yeah, I mean, saints that are in heaven now because of that. Yeah, and then you multiply that across the orders, the the, the Franciscans, the Carmelites, Dominicans, Mother Teresa's order, and all these, and all other sorts of kind of micro charisms that we may not even know about, but maybe authentic in different ways. Um, they endure, uh, which is which I think is is also a testament to. I mean, the church that Christ built endures two thousand years despite its failings. Um, this is pretty cool. Do you think that there's a particular role today? for entrepreneurs to play in the new evangelization and in just getting the gospel to all the corners of the earth? Like what role, because the idea of entrepreneurs, again, I'm thinking of a strictly secular business definition. That, yes, people have always come up with businesses all throughout history, but the acceleration of entrepreneurship has happened dramatically in the course of the last 50 years to where like, you know, thought leaders, people we, you know, look at for cultural cues, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, seem to me to be increasingly from that kind of entrepreneurial realm, right? Yeah. So do, when you think about this, how do you view, like, you know, the palette of entrepreneurship broadly in terms of the mission of the church? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, a, that's an awesome question. I mean, I think, I think it's always been there. I mean, you look at St. Paul was a tent maker. I mean, he was going off building tents. He's an entrepreneur. I mean, the gospel and mission is entrepreneurial. Like, go out, you know, don't don't take any money with you. Like, you're bootstrapping, <laughs> you know? Well, even even, even the Great Commission, right? Go out yeah. and make disciples of all nations. Yeah. Let's go out and, you know, get your market share. I mean, that's like capture the world, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, you, yeah, right. But 
Yeah, it's and super from a secular standpoint. Yeah, yeah, and they're going yeah. to founding churches and different. You know, the, the apostles go and found churches in all the different parts of the world. I mean, that's just totally entrepreneurial. I mean, we're using the language, and that's part of why I like entrepreneur. I mean, I think the Holy Spirit is, has has a beautiful way of you know, like going back to Vatican II, uh, the two great themes of Vatican II, aggiornamento and resource small. You know, back to the sources and making present and fresh. And that seems like a contradiction, but the Holy Spirit can hold it's those not. things together. And I think. So in entrepreneurship, I, I think it's 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 ever ancient and ever new. Like the church has always been doing this, but it's a way that can communicate to people today of a, a oh I get that oh that that makes sense I see other people doing this. So to have holy entrepreneurship um, to to help revitalize the church, I think is is kind of what we've always done. But I think can we can not be afraid to bring in tools or resources or ways of doing things that can be a means to that end of salvation of souls and building up the church uh, with that ordering. I think the church at its best has always had a healthy dialectic with the secular world. Look at Aquinas integrating uh, the ancient Greek philosophers or the design of uh, ancient basilicas on Roman uh, government building design. So I think we can learn from how things are done in a quote unquote secular context, which I agree still, if there's good there, has some imprint of God on it, right? the good is a transcendental, um, as a means towards our goal of, well, really God's goal for our lo- our flourishing. Um, and I think entrepreneurship can be a powerful vehicle that for, for mission today. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, talk a little bit, because we're, we're, just before we get to our last segment, I know you've got a hard stop coming up in about 10 minutes. So if, before we get to that, to that last segment, wait, what, I do want you to talk a little bit about how you personally are trying to manifest what you just described through scent, right? Tell people a little bit about scent and about what you're doing there and who you're doing it for. Yeah, thank you. So, so scent is uh, really a community of Catholic entrepreneurs and mission leaders. So it emerged from this research project I did on looking at renewal in the church and we really want to build up Catholic entrepreneurial leaders as it means to contribute in some way to renewing the church today. So we um, we uh, have a, it's a membership organization for Catholic entrepreneurs where you can access finding a great business mentor. Uh, you can access coaching. You can connect with a community, a global community of other Catholic entrepreneurial leaders and mission leaders, um, and uh, among among other resources. So. We work with about 100 companies and organizations right now around the country and um, just try to serve them well to help them to grow their business, but also with a deep spiritual component as well. And how can people like follow what you're doing? How can they actually get in touch with you and, yeah. and, and all, all that kind of stuff? Yeah. So if you're interested, you know, if you're a Catholic entrepreneur or a mission leader and, and seeking, to, seeking to grow holistically, definitely check out our website, sentventures.com. Uh, we have a variety of services there. It can help you find a great mentor uh for your work uh also if you're uh we have a fellowship program which we uh, have two cycles every year so you can you can apply for that and it's an integrated way to just kind of take your your venture to the next level um and uh and then we have a, a broader kind of community platform of, of catholic entrepreneurs too around the world um so would love to talk to you or feel free to just drop an email you know reach out to us by email on our website too and we could we could chat on the phone or whatever whatever is helpful for you We'll include all that info in the show notes as well. And you know me, John, because we've talked obviously beyond this podcast, but I'm super bullish on the whole concept, on the idea of entrepreneurship in a way as a kind of mission field that is unique to our time and place. And I think, like you said, 
precisely um, that all that is good, to the extent it is good, comes from the ultimate good, right? Which is which is true. And so I think that we have to take those opportunities and 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 utilize them for the purposes of growing the kingdom of God. And so for that, you know, I just I want to you know um, add my prayers to the prosperity of all the work that you're doing because I think it's really excellent, and well needed at this time. Well, thank you, Dave, for saying that. And thanks for all your support and guidance. You've been a, a great mentor in, in this work also, so grateful for that. It's a, pr- it's a privilege to do that. Well, my friend, um, I know you've got limited time, so are you ready to play Wait What? Wait What? <laughs> exactly. There you go. <laughs> Wait What? Yeah. Yeah, that's my wife and I were joking of what that would sound in Latin, you know, kind of do a Catholic version of it. But, uh, you know, my limited Latin did not afford me the opportunity to come up with it in Latin. So, all right, John, three questions here. You've, you've heard how we play the game. Uh, we'll start with something real easy, because I know that you're originally from Birmingham, Alabama. We've already all actually talked about that. And in many ways, Birmingham, you know, is known throughout the country as kind of the historical center of the civil rights movement. And also happens to be, as we've already mentioned, the home of EWTN, so you, you know, which is a juggernaut that transmits content all over the world. And so this kind of homegrown question should be should be easy for you to field. So, John, which of these is false about your home city and state of Birmingham, Alabama? Ready? Is it A, Birmingham is the only place in the world where all the ingredients for making iron are present? Is it B... Birmingham is the home to the nation's oldest baseball park? Or is it C, in 1995, Bayarische Motor Werken, otherwise known as BMW, built its first automotive assembly plant outside Germany in Birmingham? Which of those is false? Uh, it's kind of hard. <laughs> uh... So I'm gonna guess. So Birmingham gonna is guess a place. The, go, go ahead, guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the BMW one. You are correct, my friend. Okay. It is it is, but but you're correct by like you know extraordinary uh, uh, ability here because it is true that a German auto uh, automotive manufacturer built their first ever plant outside of Germany in Birmingham, but it is Mercedes. false that it was BMW. It was Mercedes. That's right. Yeah. Good job. So there you go. You can tell all your hard, back about home the you, rest of them. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the next ones are, uh, are easier, I'm sure. Okay. John, question number two. As a former Carmelite, you might just be the person for this question. The origin of the Carmelite order can be traced to Mount Carmel in what is now Haifa in northwestern Israel, where a number of devout men, former pilgrims and crusaders, established themselves near the traditional fountain of a particular person in, in around the year 1200, right? So like 1155 or so where, where uh, that first order uh, founded. And then centuries later, it would be renewed by a firebrand mystic woman who we now know as St. Teresa of Avila. We've talked about her as well. But what many folks don't know, John, is that the Carmelites are the only monastic order that doesn't refer to a charismatic founder as their starting point, but rather a blank. A blank. What is the blank? Uh, they, yeah. Um, well, they have the rule of uh, Saint Albert of Jerusalem was the founding rule, and that's what you're fishing for. Um, Brother Brocard is the 
brother that is, it's brother B in the rule as reference, but he's traditionally known as brother Brocard. Um, I don't know if that is what you're looking for. Well, what I, what I was looking for was the word profit, because oh, what I Elijah, understand is that okay. exactly Alicia and Elijah are mm. considered by the Carmelites as their spiritual fathers, right? Whereas True. other orders have like a man that they can identify specifically as giving rise to the order. Right. They kind of map back to that, that uh, more prophetic, uh, you know, provenance. But yeah. uh, nevertheless, I'm going to give you a, a 0.5 on that one. That's, <laughs> okay. that's good. Though. Not, not quite wrong. All right. Okay. The last one you're guaranteed to get right, John. So there's always a time machine question where we send the guests back or forward to a particular point in time. And we ask a very specific question to them about how they might behave faced with a number of possibilities. But we're going to break new ground with you today. And I'm going to approach the time machine question a bit of a different way. So, John, you're able to go forward or backward in time to any point in history to meet a particular person or visit a specific place. Now, with the exception, the exception of meeting Jesus or any of his apostles or St. Teresa of Avila or John of the Cross, where would you travel and with whom would you attempt to meet? Well, that is a good question. Um, yeah, you, you limit it quite a bit. You take away some of the, some of the go-to answers. Well, we got it. It's an open-ended answer. So I got to take, I got to make it a little bit harder. A little bit more right? challenging. So yeah. yeah. A little bit more challenging. Yeah. Um, that's it. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great question. Um, wow. You just took away all Would the Would you go forward scenes. or back? Yeah. I'd probably, Would you go I'd forward probably, or back? I'd probably go backwards. Uh, you know, okay. I don't want to, I don't want to know the you know i don't want to dabble in the future too much but it'd be cool i mean it'd be cool to you know just check in on the israelites journeying with moses and um you know oh, there you go moses uh, you know getting the ten commandments and um just have have some of an insight into into that it would be pretty would be pretty amazing um yeah i think i think i think the old testament can seem so you know can seem removed or distant and to have that be brought to life, I think could be could be a great window into um, you know the salvation journey. Well, anything mosaic. I mean, talk about grace building on nature, right? Mm. There's a an entrepreneurial story for the for the ages in terms of uh, you know somebody who thought he was kind of past it, but uh, then ended up doing his greatest work later on in life, right? So um, anyway, great uh, great job on wait what John. A real privilege to have you on the show. And again, you know, our prayers, uh, myself personally, and all collectively as a listening audience for the prosperity of the work that you're doing. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. It's been a real privilege and enjoyed it very much. And and God bless you and, and prayers for all the listeners as well. Thank you. And if you're listening, if you are one of those listeners, now is time to subscribe and make sure that you share this show with somebody you love. Please help it to grow. That's how we reach more people, more souls. And we thank you for listening. We'll see you again next time on Living the Call. If you enjoyed this episode of Living the Call, please remember to subscribe and give us a five-star review. Tell someone you love about the show and spread the word. Living the Call is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can learn more about the organization behind the show by searching for the Catholic Association of Latino Leaders on any social platform or by going directly to call-usa.org. That's C-A-L-L-U-S-A.org. Living the Call is produced by Manu Castan and Diego Carranza and our friends at Juan Diego Networks. God bless you and thank you for listening.